Praise the Lord. You know, Dylan brought up an important point. Very often we don't think about it. It's not what my sermon topic is today, but as the hounds of hell party today, evil men and imposters are growing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is what's written in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. All over this country and possibly other parts of the world, I don't know, but there are supposed churches that are opening their doors to this festivity of what is called Halloween. This is not a Christian holiday. It is not something that Christians are to practice. And I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I have to go there because Dylan brought it up and it was a part of my notes. Because God's heavy on my heart about this. As a young man, I being raised in the world and the traditions of the world, I taught my children to do that very thing, go out and beg candy door to door. As a child, I begged candy door to door. And I saw no harm in that. I didn't realize that there really is a spiritual harm in it. And I'm sorry, I've repented of that. I no longer participate in that practice. I, as a young adult, would attend costume parties and I would dress up and all of that. I was a part of it. So I'm not saying that I didn't do it, but I'm saying that I realize it is not okay for Christians to do this. Because the enemy of souls wants nothing more than to get a hold of the body of Christ, one way or another, to sneak in and bring in disease, dis-ease. Right now, there are churches that are possibly holding costume parties in their sanctuaries, where people, I've learned from another pastor who has concerns about this very thing, that there are churches in our area, in this county, who are holding costume parties for Halloween. Today is that high holy day of Satan. That is what it is, and there's no way around that. There's no way to deny it. There's no way to say, well, you know, that's just for them. No, it is as they say, what it is. The Scripture tells us that false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And just when we think that it's impossible for deception to get worse, it does. But the truth prevails regardless of what the enemy does. You see, that's one of the things that are possible. Where it says all things are possible with God, one of those all things is that the truth will prevail, and it has for thousands of years, and it will continue until Christ returns and thereafter. God's Word brings the truth to bear upon all who believe. And we don't always comprehend what it means to believe, and we're going to touch on that today. What does it mean to believe? What is believing? God's Word does give us the definition. 
And we're going to look at it. And again, I'm not hoping to step on anyone's toes, but I want you to know the truth, because the truth sets you free from deception. And the enemy wants to deceive you. The enemy wants to deceive anyone who names the name of Christ. And that's not what I want. I want you to know the truth. I want you to be set free. Because for God, that is possible. The English word possible was found 15 times in 15 verses of the King James Version of the Bible. The very first time is in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26 where we learn that the one we call Jesus said, with God all things are possible. With God all things are possible. And the last time it's found is in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 4 where it's written, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. You see, the sacrifices that were made historically were not, it wasn't possible for those to take away the sins. God accepted those sacrifices, but it wasn't possible that they would take away the sins of the people. Both of those passages refer to the same idea. Who can receive everlasting life? Only God provides the possibilities. Only God. There's no other way except through God. And He made that way clear. And He lays it out in His Word. And all we need to do is believe. It's that simple. But what does it mean to believe. As I said, we'll get to that. But before we go on, I want us to pray. Heavenly Father, God, I need You, and I yield to You for Your use. Please give me the ability to speak what each soul present and those who will hear this through electronic means, whether it be through the recordings that are taking place right now or other ways, Lord. Please, Father, I ask, that You would open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, that we would not be spiritually deaf, that we would not be spiritually blind, but that we would, in fact, see. And we would, in fact, hear. Please use Your Spirit, Lord, in this capacity. Give me unction to speak what we need to hear. Help us, Lord. Help us to give You glory that's due to Your name. Help us worship You alone, Lord, in the beauty of holiness, as it's written in Psalm 29 and verse 2. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Be with those who are unable to be here and those who perhaps are still traveling and those who are listening online. And all of God's people said, Amen. Now we're going to open our Bibles to the 18th chapter of Matthew. You can find it on the screen here. Excuse me? It must be Luke. Yes, it's Luke. I'm sorry. You are correct, and thank you. This young lady keeps me in line. I'm going to miss her when she's not here next week. We need somebody to step up, though, to help with the PowerPoint, because she won't be here, and the other young lady that helps, Kylie, will not be here. So we need somebody who knows how to do PowerPoint to operate that. So Luke, thank you, chapter 18, and uh, we'll begin with verse 18. And... uh, 
we're going to compare Matthew's rendering of this occasion and Mark's rendering of this occasion with Luke's rendering of this occasion. But we're going to read from Luke first. Luke 18, 18. And that's where it's written, Now a certain ruler asked him, speaking of Christ, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one's good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. You know these things. I would say, I'd venture to say all of you know these things. And he said, all these things, this is the ruler now, he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. He's saying, I, I do that. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he became sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. So he's not saying it's impossible for somebody who has riches. It's not an impossibility. And there are some who say it is. Some say we have to get rid of everything we have. We have to be poor. We have to do like the early church, put everything together and we all live out of it, right? That's what they say. But that's not what he says. Those things that are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. The disciples had left all. You know what? We have a crying room you can take him to. Could somebody help her, maybe guide her to where that's at? See, we have left all and followed you. So he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many more, many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life left their house or parents or brothers or wife or children. Uh, is he telling us we have to leave everybody to serve him? What he's saying is at that time, and for a long time after that, when someone came to Christ and they became a believer, they were shunned. They were put out of their house. They were put out of their family. They were rejected by their spouse. He's saying, but... Not only will you receive many more times in this present time, in other words, you'll be blessed, but in the age to come, you'll receive eternal life. Because believing in Christ brings that life. Then he took the twelve aside and he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished." For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. I know I read a little further than what I had 
originally thought to, but we need to know that it's by His sacrifice that we get eternal life. We're going to look at that text very quickly, just kind of break it down a little bit, and we're also, as I said, going to look at Matthew and at Mark's renderings of this. Luke tells the readers that the one who asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life, was a ruler, he was a man of authority. He was a man of authority. And he said, what must I do? All three records relate the fact that our Lord rebuked the man for calling him good. So there's none good. Not one. Only God is good. And all three relate the fact that this man wanted to learn how to live forever. He wanted to learn how to live forever. And that's an important point. As we get on in the story, we learn why. He wanted to live on forever. Luke and Mark relate that the man said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Matthew says, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? See, he's already had to do something. He's always about him and what he had to do. He's always about his actions. All three gospel writers Tell the readers that our Lord's response was to tell them about the commandments. Shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. Matthew includes you shall love your neighbor as yourself, because our Lord taught that. When they said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God completely with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, because on that all the law hangs. In other words... Matthew included the rest of the law by saying, love your neighbor as yourself, because you won't covet, you won't steal, you won't do all those things that are against people. Christ mentioned the things that were against God. And Mark included, do not defraud. It's not one of the big ten, but somehow Mark slipped that in there, do not defraud. All three gospel writers tell readers that the man responded by saying he kept the commandments since he was young. See, we see in their comparisons, when we look at the three gospel writings of this particular event, we see that these were three different people who recorded the same thing. These aren't three different events. And all three relate that the other thing our Savior said was then to come and follow Him. Following Him leads you into everlasting life. Mark tells readers that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He looked at this man and he had compassion. He had compassion for this man. He felt compassion. And as I was looking at this, I recalled, and through my research, I saw where Christ had stood over Jerusalem, and He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I had longed to gather you together. And He wept. He grieved over Jerusalem because they wouldn't come to Him. They wouldn't follow Him. And this is what He was saying to this man. He had compassion on Him. And He tells him, follow Me. Follow Me. Come and take up the cross and follow Me. And in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, we learn that He said to 
all of the people that were there at that time, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. See, it's a daily walk. It's not a one-time thing. We don't just drop things for a moment and say, okay, now I'm following Jesus, but i got to live my life the way i got to live my life. You see, he says, pick up your cross. In other words, it's a sacrifice. You're living your life as a sacrifice. In fact, the Scripture tells us that it's our reasonable service to give our life for Him. After all, He gave His for us. It's pretty simple, and yet it's profound when we think about it. He says, you can't do anything, but I want you to do something. You can't do anything to get eternal life. And yet He wants you to sacrifice your life. He wants you to walk away from those things that take you away from Him, or learn to use everything to His glory. And the next thing that we learn is all three gospel writers tell us that the man became very sorrowful. He was very sorrowful because the Lord said, come and follow me. Get rid of everything. Come and follow me. Why would He tell him to get rid of everything if it was still possible to have things? You look at some of the richest people in the Scriptures. Abraham was a rich man. Solomon was a rich man. David was a rich man. Did they not make it in? Well, the Lord said in one of His parables, He said, you're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the bosom. You're going to see them with the Father and you're locked out. So we know Abraham at least got in. It's not about what we have. It's about our heart. Our heart condition has to be right. And God wants us to use whatever He gives us to His glory, however we do that, however He leads us to do that. And the next thing that we learn that man was sorrowful because he had great possessions, so he was very rich. And the next thing we learn is that the Lord said it was hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say it was impossible. It was difficult. It was not impossible. That's what he said. In fact, he illustrated it by relating uh, it's hard for them to go into the kingdom of heaven. It's harder than the, for them to go into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And there's different schools of thought of what that means. They had uh, walled cities, and in the cities they would have these small gates where the animals would have to actually kneel down and have to get them into the city because they didn't want them to bring in uh, armament or something to fight against the city. So they had to unpack the animal. It was hard for the camel to go through that doorway, which some say was called a needle. I'm not so sure about that. And the other is that just the really bizarre over-exaggeration. A camel cannot go through the eye of a needle. And he's saying, it's difficult. Somehow it's not impossible. It's not impossible for people who have riches to go into the kingdom of heaven. You know, we live in the richest land in the world. Well, maybe not now. We once were. There'd be those who take offense at that, but the truth is, we live in a very rich land. That's God's blessing. He doesn't bless us with riches to condemn us, He blesses us with riches to be able to spread His word, His gospel. 
The rich man walked away because he did not want to give it all away. He wanted to have everlasting life and take his possessions with him. You know, in the Middle East, there was that idea that they could take all of their riches with them. In fact, we see the example of that in the pyramids. They buried people with their riches. And the riches are still there, but they're not. There's an example there. And the implication is he wanted to take it all with him. He wanted to have eternal life, and he wanted to take everything with him. And he thought maybe Jesus had the key to that, how he could figure that out, how he could do that. Mark includes details that the others do not. That's why I started with Luke, because Luke's rendering of it is, is pretty short. Mark's is also, but Matthew's is the longest. But Luke doesn't give all the details. Luke was the doctor. He came along later, and he gathered details from people. And sometimes he didn't get it all. The disciples, it's written in Mark's gospel record, were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. See, I mean, where do we place our trust? Are we placing our trust in Almighty God? Are we using our riches as that place where we put our trust? And that's the difference. That's the dividing line. Are we trusting in what God has provided to us, or are we trusting in Him? That's the difference. The rich man had faith in his possessions, not in God. This is what he lacked. When he says, what do I lack? That's what he lacked. And that's why Christ told him, get rid of everything. Get rid of it all, because your heart's there. It's not here. And after that camel illustration... It's written in Mark 10 in verse 26 that they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Because he was talking about people with riches. Why would they say who then can be saved? Because they saw, them all, they saw, all, they saw themselves as being rich. Who then can be saved? And all three gospel records relate our Lord's response was to say, with God, all things are possible. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so I want to ask you, what's possible with God? Let's say it loud. All things are possible with God. All things, even any of us who were lost and beyond salvation, can come to the saving grace of Almighty God. It's possible. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what kind of lives we've lived. It doesn't matter if we were rich or poor. What matters is God's grace is available for us and all who will come to Him. It's God's gift. It's God's gift. The next thing we learn is that Peter reminded them they left everything to follow him. We dropped everything. We left the boats. We left the nets. We're here with you. What, what, what more do you want is, is the implication there. We, we've dropped everything. We don't have anything else to let go of. And our Lord told him, anyone who leaves everything and everyone for his sake and the Gospels would receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. 
See, the blessing comes here and hereafter, not just here. That's the difference between worldly wealth and godly wealth. God will use all of us. And, you know, the world runs on that thing we call money, so He's not going to keep us all poor. He'll use us by giving to us that which He wants us to use to His glory. Does that mean that we don't get to spend some ourselves? No, that doesn't mean that. And there are some who've taken that mantle on themselves and said, well, we're going to just forsake everything. We're going to forsake the world. We're going to go hide up in another building somewhere, and we're going to call ourselves by a special name, and that's how we're going to live, and we're not going to have anything. We're going to just swear off everything. That's not what God's Word says. Is that wrong? No, I'm not saying that's wrong. For those people, it probably is the best thing they can do. But for the majority of God's people, He wants us out in the world. He wants us sharing the good news, and it takes lots of things to do that. If all you're doing is traveling somewhere, how long would it take you to walk from here, say, to Butler City? Ten miles or so. How long would that take you? Half a day? But you jump in the car and you're there in ten minutes, right? And what does that take? It takes gasoline. It takes keeping the machine running and inspected and insured and... There's costs involved with that. But as you travel, you can forget about all that stuff. And you think, okay, I want to get there in nine minutes, not ten, right? I'm guilty. I am. Sometimes I just don't like riding behind slow people who are going below the speed limit. Speed limit's okay. Below the speed limit doesn't work for me. And I'm sure some of you probably can I relate with that, right? I mean, it's... But... It costs money to do those things, is the bottom line, okay? So God's going to give us what we need to do that. If He sends us on a mission into Butler City, He's going to give us what we need to accomplish that mission. He's not saying throw all the money out to the wind or give it all away, and then you can't get out there. You can't do anything. You've got to have a place to live. you have heat, electricity for lights and other things. But Luke, Luke put a little detail on there. It was just a little bit different. He said that everybody, those who leave everything and everyone for the sake of the kingdom of God. See, Christ said for His sake, and Luke said for the kingdom of God. It's just the same thing. We're doing it for God's kingdom and the building of God's kingdom. Matthew gives a couple of details that the others didn't have. According to Matthew, after reminding Jesus that they left everything to follow Him, Peter said, what shall we have. We left everything. What, what, what are we going to have? Like, he wants to know. Peter was this rough, tough fisherman guy, okay? He was the guy that was uh, known for being brash. And when the Lord was going to the cross, he was the guy that was known for cussing. He walked with Christ for three years, three and a half years, and he's still a cusser? Yeah, that's what the Scripture shows us. Our Lord said, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed Me also will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, that's a whole sermon in itself, but He's saying they're going to be exalted. They're going to be put into positions of authority that are above all of the people who are part of Israel. 
These were just normal, common people. These, weren't, these guys weren't the religious leaders at that time. The religious leaders were the ones that Christ rebuked the most. And it's saying that they would judge the twelve tribes of Israel gives us an insight into what he was telling them. The riches, the power, the, the glory that come from worldly riches is nothing compared to what God has in store for each and every one of us. He says, we will judge. We will sit above others. Matthew and Mark relay the message, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. That's in Matthew 19.30 and Mark 10.31. And this saying is also recorded in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first last, for many are called, but few chosen. Did he not mean that? If he humbles us, he's going to exalt us. This is the message of Christ. We don't need to have status here on this earth, but if he gives it to us, we need to use it properly to his glory. Our Lord expressed this idea after His parable of the two sons. One refused to do what the Father instructed, then He changed His mind, then He obeyed, and the other agreed initially, but then later refused. And our Lord said, which of the two did the will of His Father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said, you answered properly or, or rightly. Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. He was speaking to religious leaders. He said those who are first, in other words, the ones that are exalted here, are going to be last. He doesn't say they don't get in. He says they're not going to be exalted there. And what we see there is that obedience is what's important. See, because there were two sons. One said, no, I'm not going to do it. Not going there. Nope, ain't going to happen. But then later he changed his mind and he obeyed. The other one says, oh, yeah, sure, Dad, I'll take care of that for you. But then later he said, nope, I'm not doing it. See, we are amongst those ones that have disobeyed. And God made the way for us to break free from the bonds of sin, and that was through Christ. And He exalts His people through Christ, not through our work, not through what we do, not through what we have or what we own, it doesn't matter if we have all the toys of the day. Those things do nothing for us when it comes to the kingdom of God. Obedience is what's important, not mental assent or mental agreement. And there are many today who push this gospel of just say this little prayer and you're saved forever. You can do whatever you want. That's not the gospel message. It's not the message of the gospel at all. Which of the two did the will of his Father? The one who obeyed. Obedience is the evidence of true faith. Obedience is the evidence of believing. What does it mean to believe? We obey our Lord. Obedience is what's important. 
In fact, it's written in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Now, we learned from Hebrews that burnt offerings and sacrifices can't take away sin, right? I mean, that's what it says in the New Testament. And so Samuel asks, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. You see, that's what believing is. Believing is obeying. We obey the gospel. We obey Christ. We obey God. He says, those who love me keep my commandments. That's what he said. Obedience is what's important. And in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19, it's written, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Who was the obedient one? Christ. He was the obedient one. He's the one that went to the cross. He gave His earthly life in exchange for us. He took our sin. In the ninth chapter of Mark, we find another statement of possibility. We're getting there, folks. According to Mark, a man brought his son to be healed, but the disciples were unable to heal the boy. Couldn't heal him. Now, they were healing people. The Scripture says they went about everywhere healing. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 20 through 22, we hear this, Then they brought the boy to our Lord. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Now, can you imagine that? Somebody brings a child in here, they fall on the ground, they start flip-flopping around and foaming at the mouth. Everybody here is going to gasp, right? <gasps> now, there's a crowd of people there, and this boy's flip-flopping around, and Jesus didn't jump right down and help him. What's he do? He asks the dad. He asks the dad, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he's thrown them both into the fire. Who threw him into the fire? The devil, the demon, the, the unclean spirit, the one that was ruling over this child. Threw him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, the Father said, have compassion on us and help us. And I want you to hear what our Lord said to him. It's almost identical to what he told the disciples when they asked him, who then can be saved? He said, with God. All things are possible. All things are possible. So he told the man, now his boy's still flip-flopping around down there, still foaming at the mouth, still having this uh, epileptic fit, or whatever you want to call it, the seizure. And the Lord tells him, it's possible with God. The man begged him to help this child. And our Lord said, all things are possible. But this time He said, if you believe, all things are possible. If you believe. See, with God, all things are possible. But with us, there's that element of belief that is required. And what does it mean to believe? To obey. Now, if you believe, you obey. If you obey, everything is possible. That's what he says. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, it's written, 
but without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Of course, now, in the context of this boy who's having this epileptic seizure, the context is physical healing, but there's also that element of the healing of the soul. Almighty God heals souls that come to Him in obedience. Our Lord said, nothing, nothing shall be impossible for you. It's in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. But I have to say, don't grab that and run. Anything's possible for me. I can do all things. Because he added a little qualifier there also. Faith. Just a tiny bit of faith. A mustard seed bit of faith. I had somebody one time give me a little plastic satchel, a little Ziploc with a mustard seed in it. A little tiny thing. Now that's how much faith you need for all things to be possible. You see, a mustard seed grows into this huge, monstrous tree, and Christ used it as an example. It starts tiny, though, and obedience is evidence of faith. But then on the other side, disobedience is evidence of unbelief. So we say we believe, but then we live in sin. And when we live in sin, I'm not saying we misstep. I'm talking about living. Nope, I'm not giving that up. I'm not walking away from that. I'm good with that. No, God's let me, oh, by the grace of God, I can do anything I want. And I've heard people say those words. And so that's not what God's Word says. That's your gospel. That's your message. That's what you believe. But that's not what God says you need to believe. Obedience is evidence of faith. Regardless of whether we say we believe, disobedience shows that we don't. For living disobedient lives, our disobedience is the evidence that God uses to judge us. He says so. His Word is full of examples of that. I'm not going to bring them into this message, but they are there. The Holy Spirit of Almighty God convicts you of sin. Give praise to God. You know, I have people that come to me, and most recently, in fact, uh, as a young man said, Pastor, every time I come and I sit under your preaching, he says, I get convicted. And another young man said, I, I, when I was coming, I was getting convicted. I thought you were talking right to me. And I said, no, I'm not. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. It's not me, because I don't know. I don't know anything about the majority of you. I just know what God says to speak, and I speak it. I allow His Spirit to speak through me so that He will reach each and every one of you with the very same message of the gospel. Because by grace you're saved. He forgives. He doesn't hold it against you. But you've got to turn to Him. And that's that word we use, repentance. We don't like that word in the church anymore. That's a bad word. Don't say that word. No, you don't need to repent. That's an act. That's a work. You don't do works. No, it's by grace you've been saved, not through work. But the Word tells us Jesus went about preaching repentance. His disciples went about preaching repentance. And Dylan didn't know what the message was today, by the way. The Spirit of God spoke through him. And the Lord said, nothing shall be impossible with, for you if you believe. You know, praise God if He convicts you of sin because He loves you too much to leave you in enemy territory. 
He wants to bring you out of that. He says in His Word, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Obedience is faith. It's the evidence of our faith. God offers to rescue you, but you have to surrender to Him. You've got to throw up the white flag. I give up. I don't want to be your enemy anymore. And there's so many churches today, and it's unfortunate, but it's a reality. There's so many churches today that are allowing people to live in their sin, and they don't bring the message of God's Word to bear upon the souls that they're bringing something to. They're not feeding them with God's Word. They're not hearing the Word of God. They're not recognizing that God calls us to a different life, not the same life that we lived in. He calls us out of that. We must believe. That's the qualifier. And what does it mean to believe? To obey. In John chapter 3 and verse 36, it's written, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on them. And in John chapter 5 and verse 24, it's written, Most assuredly, this is our Lord speaking, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. He who hears my word and obeys him who sent me has everlasting life. That's a work. You're preaching works, Pastor John. No, I'm not. Believing is obedience to God. Does that mean we don't misstep? I'm telling you, folks, I know there are good, solid, God-fearing people who misstep. They don't stay there, though. They come out of it. They're not living in it. They're not remaining in it. They're not denying that God brought them out of that. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And in John chapter 6 and verse 47, it's written, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. Is everlasting life possible? See, the, the title of the series of messages is Everlasting Life. And the question that I pose to the congregation today, and anybody who will hear this message again, all who are within the sound of my voice is, is it possible? Is everlasting life possible? Because this is what that ruler wanted. He wanted everlasting life. He wanted to know that he could live forever. And you know we have people today who want to live forever, but they're doing it a different way. They're not going through Christ. See, they're taking a different avenue. It's called transhumanism. They're bringing the alteration of the human genome the human DNA, that which God has created us in His image, and they're altering it. They're changing it. And they think that somehow they're going to live forever through this process of alteration. God says that's not the way it's going to work. God says that we have everlasting life through Christ, believing in God, obeying God. In 1 John chapter 5, it's written, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony. Listen. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. 
and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, let me ask you something. He's the life. He's the way, the truth, the life. He is the light, the true light that came into the world, that shined in the darkness to draw men, humans, out of that darkness. He's the light. What does the Word say about light and darkness cohabitating? No can do. So when John is saying, if we have the Son, if, because the life is in His Son, He who has the Son has life, who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Is it possible? Is eternal life possible? Yes! He says so. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Is it possible then, if our Lord said that you would continue, is it possible that we could not continue, that something could happen and we could change our mind, that we would no longer believe? Is that possible? Because He says, if, that you may, you might continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. As I wrap this up, I, I want to pose the question that our Lord asked. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because we're going to be called to believe. See, he said things are going to get ugly. Things are going to change so rapidly that we aren't going to recognize the world that we live in. And we got a little foretaste of that recently. Because if you believe, everlasting life is possible for you. It's not that everlasting life here in this earth, because there will be a new earth, a new heaven, will be ruling and reigning there with Christ. Whatever that means. I'm not going to go into all the details because I don't have them. But we must remember that it's written in Hebrews chapter 3, now, with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. And you see, that seals the deal when it comes to obedience and faith. Because they didn't get in because they didn't obey. They didn't get in because they didn't believe. And he ties it together right there. They didn't obey, and it was obvious by the fact, excuse me, they didn't believe, and it was obvious by the fact that they didn't obey. Now the just shall live by faith, it's written in Hebrews chapter 10. The just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. How do you draw back out of faith? Disobedience. Willfully choosing to live against what God's Word says is the way for us to live. Follow Christ. He was sinless. Now obviously none of us are. I don't know that we can attain sinless perfection on this side of eternity. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who believe they can. I've witnessed some of them sinning as they say that they are sinless. It's hypocrisy. Now, maybe not all. Maybe there are some who have really sequestered themselves out of the world and they no longer sin. That's a possibility, I suppose, but I've watched it with my own eyes. I've seen the hypocrisy that Christ condemned. The just shall live by faith. 
If anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And in Galatians chapter 2, in verse 20, it is written, I have been crucified with Christ. Pick up your cross how often? Daily. Every day. Right. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me and for you, for each of you. He gave His life. And all He asks is that you would have faith, that you would believe, that you would obey what He says, not what I say. I'm not going to tell you a list of rules. I'm not going to say you got to wear your skirts this long, ladies. You better pull your hair up in a bun. Sleeves got to be down to here over the elbows. No. There are those in Christian circles who say that. You have to do those things to, to be holy. I'm not going to say there are things that you can and cannot do. I'm going to tell you what God's Word says. And one of those things, and it's a big one in the church today, is that we are not to practice evil. And those things that are associated with this high holy day of Satan, they are evil. And they're teaching children that it's okay. And we need not to allow our children to learn to practice evil. We need to teach our children to obey the Lord. And we raise them up in His will. We raise them up in His way. And His Word tells us they will not depart from it. And so I say, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We are, of all people, unworthy of Your love, unworthy of Your grace, unworthy of Your mercy, and yet You have found a way because we've obeyed the gospel. You've found a way through faith to extend Your grace to even us. So, Lord, I ask that You would pour Yourself out on each one here and within the sound of my voice. Strengthen us in the power of Your might to do all things in Your will, in Your way, that we would not depart from it. And I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.